This is Ready or Not Prepares, the Disaster Preparedness Podcast, and I am your host, Michelle. Welcome, and thank you for joining me for episode 19, An Approaching Collision, The Housing Moratorium, House Shortages, and Homelessness. I am going to start this episode with the housing moratorium. I would imagine that most of you know what it is. It is a part of the federal stimulus to stop evictions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, as many of you might know, the moratorium was actually due to expire on July 31st, but the CDC issued a new order to temporarily extend the deadline of the moratorium with the caveat. It does not stop all evictions, but it stops those in states or counties that have high rates of COVID-19. The extended deadline for these states or counties is October 3rd. In actuality, the deadline dates vary depending on the state or county that a person lives. So even with the Delta variant impacting so many people and states, even with infections on the rise, yet again, many can be evicted. This can happen in a matter of weeks or even days. It all depends on the landlord and or how the court system is moving because courts are now resuming eviction proceedings. Now, if a landlord received federal assistance for rent during the pandemic, tenants cannot be evicted for any of the months that the landlord received or accepted payment as aid from the government. So the best practice in terms of preparedness is to have all of your paperwork together so that you can produce, if needed, how many months your landlord received rental assistance. Another thing I think is key as it relates to preparedness on this issue is to do your due diligence and find out what the status of your state in terms of how they are handling handling the housing moratorium. Another thing I think is key as it relates to preparedness is to do your due diligence and find out what the status 
of your state is in terms of how they are handling the housing moratorium. And I say that because, as I said earlier, different states are doing different things. So I think I will go over a few, I'll go over a few states. I know that four states, I think they are um, Massachusetts, New York, Nevada, and Oregon. These four states are temporarily banning evictions against those with pending rental assistance applications in place. So if you already have a rental assistance application on file, it stays or stops the eviction. I know in Minnesota, they are banning evictions until the end of August. Oh no, until the middle of August. Now, in this case, if you are a renter, and I'm saying you, but of course, if it is you personally, if it is anybody that you know, if there is someone you know that can be helped by this information, that is the you I am addressing. But in Minnesota, renters can be evicted if they are not eligible for rental assistance. Other than that, Minnesota is lifting all other evictions in October. So October, at least for now, is the end of the road. And in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Landlords can't begin evictions until August 26th. And at that point, if they have already filed an eviction against you prior to the pandemic, then they can evict you, right? But even with that, tenants have to be given 30 days notice, which means if before the pandemic happened, you were already in the system and that might be due to rent issues or what have you, and you were under the threat of eviction, say your landlord had already taken steps to start the eviction process, then these cases are now set to resume. There is a Bit of grace, however, because it is required that they provide a 30-day notice. Any other evictions can't resume until October 12th. And in those cases, any tenants must be provided with at least a 60-day notice. In California, most landlords cannot move forward with evictions until October. And in New Jersey, tenants cannot be kicked out of their homes until some date to be determined in January, 2022. So all things considered, there are truly 
No winners in this. Landlords are losing money, especially the small landlords. I mean, you know, to be a landlord is a business. And at this point, many landlords are being ill affected. They are losing money and or losing their properties in the process. It's a very serious situation. And even with all of this, it is already being reported or forecasted that the coming evictions will hit the Black community the hardest. And within the Black community, of course, Black women are most at risk. I say we should all be concerned. And here's why. You know, the moratorium was initially granted because COVID-19 significantly impacted the economy. We know this. It impacted the economy globally. Many lost their jobs. Many companies went under or bankrupt. The economy was stagnated. Now it's inflated. And many were not able to pay their rent. Remember, the housing moratorium was actually put in place due to the threat of rising COVID infections if 11 million people were to be evicted. It appears that we are, as I take this episode back at square one, because now we have this Delta variant that is looming. Interestingly, it was about this time, I mean, we we're in August now, so it was about this time or a little later that COVID-19 was pretty much introduced to the world. Um, at least I was introduced to it um, as a part of disaster preparedness um, and maybe not by name, but in theory in or about October, 2019. So um, that is another story for another time. But while I am on the subject, in brief, there are several variants of COVID-19 that are being monitored and observed here and abroad. There is Lambda, Iota, Eta, Kappa, and at least 13 other variants that are being tracked. I said that to say, please don't get caught up in this vaccinated versus unvaccinated distraction. There is no distinction for these variants, which means there are no distinctions because of the injections or the lack of injections. 
all can catch the infection. That's been proven. That's been stated by the CDC itself. The unvaccinated are not spreading infections. COVID is mutation after mutation after mutation. So I digress, but having said that, let's keep preparedness in mind. As for COVID, please take measures to boost your immunity. Continue to keep and put, again, those protocols in place that we had initially. Travel less, quarantine often, attend smaller gatherings, wear your masks, sanitize frequently. The weather is becoming cooler and it appears that that's when COVID is at its highest. Not to mention, we are now entering flu season. So stay safe and stay healthy. I personally am praying for all of us. Now, as I get back on track, let's talk about preparedness for the housing moratorium. You know that evictions are coming. They may have been stalled, but they are approaching. I hope by now you are contemplating and compiling resources. What else can you put in place? Are there any friends, relatives, organizations like your churches, temples, or mosques that you can call on? Are there ways to supplement or gain more economically? What available resources are there? In my research, I came across two resources I would like to share. One is the National Low Income Housing Coalition. The acronyms are NLIHC. Now, they provide a state-by-state -state list of programs that are giving out aid. And I really like this website in particular because they have a very useful chart that breaks down how each state is handling the moratorium. And they do it, on, like I said, on a state-by-state -state basis. The second resource is Consumer Finance. Their website is www.consumerfinance.org. You can go and browse that website to get aid in order to stay in your apartment or rental home longer. So be sure to check out these sites for yourself or share with anyone that might be interested. All in all, exercise your due diligence for your survival. Just to put things in perspective and why I even mentioned 
and approaching collision in the naming of this episode? Understand, there are many people who are not able to pay their rent. And not only is there the threat of eviction for them, and we are talking about millions of people, you know, coming to the end of the moratorium, which is a huge concern. But in addition to that, there is generally a housing shortage in this country. So there is already a lack of inventory in place to house people. And then even with that inventory, it is not affordable for most. I mean, I pay less for my mortgage than many pay to rent a one bedroom apartment. Make it make sense. I find myself saying that more and more and more these days. And of course, with all of this going on in the housing market, it comes as no surprise that homelessness is on the increase. So all in all, there is a housing crisis in America. I know the focus has been fully on COVID-19 and I am not trying to minimize it in the least, but while it is happening, we are quietly approaching a housing crisis. These very serious issues appear to be set to collide. Reports say that there could be a housing collapse worse than what was experienced during the housing bubble in 2008. They call it the Great Recession. Some go as far as to say this crisis could be worse than the Great Depression in the 1930s. And I'm feeling that. I really would not say that it is too far-fetched. We are dealing with high unemployment, a pandemic, people being evicted, and inflation. I mean, prices are rising. You see it in the grocery store, at your restaurants, using DoorDash, at the gas pump. We are in the midst of inflation, really. Slowly and quietly, prices are rising. I actually plan to tape an upcoming episode on inflation and hopefully provide some ways to prepare. And that should be coming very soon. Let's look at some data now. A third, 32% of Americans missed their July housing payments. Banks are setting aside billions to cover potential loan defaults. 
and 28 million Americans could be evicted in the next few months. I think we need to put all of this on our brains and then ask the question, if there are any preparedness measures that can be put in place at this time with all that we are facing. If you listen to my podcast, and I hope you consistently do, and if so, thank you. And if you do, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. But if you listen to my podcast, I often speak about the five phases of emergency preparedness. They are prevention, mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. Preparedness is our state of readiness. I think right now we are looking at future preventiveness, but definitely mitigation and preparedness are needed for this crisis. So how do we mitigate? How do we prevent for the future? How do we prepare for our survival or for the negative impact of this crisis? As we look at all of this, you know, with homelessness, with the housing shortage, with the lack of affordable housing, with the threat of eviction, the one thing that I hope comes to mind for everyone is that there needs to be a new approach to housing in America. A new paradigm has to be set. The old ideas or experiments that did not or are not working have to be phased out and replaced by innovative and affordable concepts, plans, and or ideas. For example, and this is a big one, public housing, or they call them the projects, a huge failure. It did not work. It tore apart the family, fed and thereby increased crime. They were underfunded, neglected by governmental administrations and different presidents that came in. They were poorly built. They had inadequate maintenance and they fostered poverty for all intents and purposes, it was a monumental failure. Now, when I speak about innovative ideas, okay, let me say this. When we talk about preparedness, it is about your very survival. It is what things you have to put in place, that state of readiness, for your survival. You know, if you have your survival in check, that extends to your family's survival, which then extends to your community and from there to your nation and then to the world, right? It's not about looking for who can help you, having your hand out. 
don't get me wrong. In some cases, you might have to find resources like with this whole housing moratorium. Use all the resources you can, but generally we have to get to a point and I'm talking specifically about our community. We have to get to a point where we put things in place for ourselves, where we rely on ourselves. The old ways and ideas are not working for us. I was studying uh, the affordable housing that Kanye West designed, right? When I speak about innovation and preparedness, we don't have to sit around and wait on the government or some rich philanthropist to give us a handout. Just know there's always some strings attached. It can come from your very own mind, my very own mind, because we are trying to put measures in place for the survival of our own community. Back to Kanye West. Because when I was thinking about this, and, and let me say, for the record, I actually think Kanye West is brilliant. But when studying Kanye West, I studied what is called Yeezy homes. Yeezy homes in design are like these igloo-style concrete homes he designed for the homeless. It appears that Kanye looked at a social issue which definitely impacts the Black community. And I am not saying that this was his specific aim, but he looked at the issue of affordable housing in America and on a humanitarian basis came up with these homes. Again, he uses concrete. I first heard of concrete housing and its benefits in studying the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Concrete is a very sustainable material. I think Kanye has 300 acres of land that he is building these affordable homes for the homeless on. And I think it's in California. So this is preparedness on another level. I say all of that to say it doesn't have to be a Kanye. It is a mindset like Kanye's. Jay-Z and Will Smith are two of the investors in Landis Technologies. Landis Technologies is a rent-to-own startup that helps renters build credit until they can buy their home or buy a home of their own. Again, paradigm shifts, innovative concepts, all levels of preparedness. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do? Because we all are or will be impacted in one way or another. 
I work in and commute to DC. I see homelessness outside of million dollar real estate. I see it while in traffic, while walking through the park, while coming into Union Station, while riding the Metro. If you know DC, if you walk out the right exit, you will end up in Tent City. I'm just saying. Let's talk about abroad. Finland. Finland is in Northern Europe, I think. It is between Sweden and Russia. Finland has the least amount of homeless people in all of Europe. In 2007, Finland adopted a concept called housing first. What it is, is Finland felt everyone has a right to shelter to a home without any preconditions. So they began to build and they built and renovated existing buildings. Um, they built buildings specifically for the housing first project. And in that they counseled the tenants to help them eventually find an economic means to make a contribution to their own housing. Remember, it is less stress to house people as opposed to letting them remain homeless. So let's get back to the United States. You have to think on how much homelessness costs the taxpayer indirectly. And when I say indirectly, it's because we just go on with life, living life, paying taxes, and not understanding that the U.S. taxpayer pays about $35,000 a year in taxes that go toward the homeless. Hospital visits, medical care, trash cleanup, human waste cleanup. And this is a big issue in California. But also incarceration. All of this is incurred by the homeless. All of this is covered by the taxpayer. It is a very negative cycle. And again, we have to come up with some very innovative solutions. I'm almost at my conclusion, but this brings me to an interesting question someone asked me recently. My daughter's best friend is Hispanic. And I only bring that up because she asked me a very sincere question, probably from a cultural perspective, I think. So my daughter attends college in Baltimore and we took her best friend who had never been to Baltimore proper um, with us to campus. So on our ride there, she noticed the vacant, abandoned, and boarded up homes 
that are an eyesore to the landscape. So she asked me why people don't come together to make the homes livable. And I thought about that on so many levels. You know, when immigrants come to America, at least I noticed in the Hispanic community that they pool their resources. And this is yet another concept that I was introduced to in the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad when he extolled the community as far back as the 1930s to pool our resources for our survival. So you might notice with some in the Hispanic community that an immigrant may come to America and collectively purchase a home. When one or one family is stable enough to independently get their own, it opens up a space for someone else to come and get stabilized. And it continues until they are able to build a strong community with their own economics, with their own businesses. Now, this is not a, a new concept. This was a concept that worked for Blacks when we migrated from the South to the North in cities like New York, when we went to the Midwest in like to Chicago, and when we went to the West, like California. Many Blacks operated boarding houses or rooming houses. If you remember, Sanford and Son, Fred Sanford ran a boarding house. In the Etta James movie, I forgot the um, movie Beyonce starred in, Etta James ran a boarding house. In the movie Lady Sings the Blues, Billie Holiday lived in a boarding house. There was actually a 24 room boarding house in Tampa, Florida that all the greats stayed in. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, James Brown. I think they are trying to preserve it today in Tampa, uh, Florida. So boarding houses allow people to become stabilized economically and all tenants took some level of responsibility in its maintenance. So they all kind of had a stake in the home. Tenants stayed until they were stable. When and why did we stop trying to help our women, our families to get on their feet? When and why did we stop pooling our resources. Again, I digress. But it is this very way of thinking that may be part of the solution. We may need to explore the possibility of this again because 
These were multi-dwelling options that allowed people or borders the opportunity to stabilize in order to build their own economy. For issues like we are facing today, this is the kind of thinking that we have to put in place so as not to be at the mercy of the circumstances, but be prepared for them. We need more in our community with the mindset of a Kanye West. So these are just some things for us to consider. We are in some very serious times. I wanna thank you for taking the time to listen to Ready or Not Prepares. Until the next episode, remember, I am not here to scare you. I am here to prepare you. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Ready or Not Prepares, the Disaster Preparedness Podcast. If you like the show and want to know more, be sure to visit our website at www.readyornotprepares.com. We're on social media platforms at Ready or Not Prepares on IG, Ready or Not Prep on Facebook, and you can subscribe to our new YouTube channel, Ready or Not Prepares On Air.